part 14 of our series. Do you know what the other 13 parts were? You can go back and listen to those on our website. Part 14 of you, Do You Really Believe? is from 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18. Do you really believe you uh, can know and do God's will? Do you really believe you can know and can do God's will? We're going to talk about three disciplines that are imperative for all of us. Rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks. Three disciplines. Before I talk more about those three disciplines, I asked Scott and Grace if they'd come up and share on one of those each a little life story for you. All right. Good morning, everyone. Uh, as Tom said, my name is Scott, and I'm with my wife, Grace. We are members here at Cottonwood. So, um, yeah, as Tom said, he asked us to share a little bit about um, those three things, rejoicing, giving thanks, and prayer. Um, and specifically, even, you know, time where we prayed and, you know, to give thanks, maybe when we didn't really feel like it, um, or had a time of prayer and rejoicing, and uh, just giving that glory back to God. So I was thinking a little bit, and I was struggling in prep for this, to be honest with you, uh, just kind of not knowing what to say. So this morning, 4.53 a.m., I woke up, and I was like, I kind of know what to say. Not for the whole day, but um, one of the things that really stood out to me, especially thinking about a time of prayer and a time of giving thanks to God, maybe when I don't really feel like it, my heart doesn't feel like it, is when I'm awake in the middle of the night. Mm. Those times when I'm maybe thinking about something, I'm worrying about something, I'm a little anxious about something. Uh, I've been blessed that I'm a great sleeper, but I've noticed in particular the last couple of years, if there's something on my mind, it jumps into my brain at 3, 4 a.m. Um, and really over those last couple of years, it's been time to think through, you know, what's God trying to tell me? And ultimately it comes to pray. Take time and pray. I don't want to pray right now. I want to be asleep, but... I'm not, you know, there's something on my mind, something on my heart that God's really prompting me to take time and pray. So that's been something that I've really been able to do. Nice thing is, I've been able to do it, and then I don't even remember it, and I fall back asleep, which is fantastic. Um, but ultimately, just feeling like I'm giving up that control, which has been so wonderful. And then also, at times where I do wake up in the middle of the night, I'm thinking about something, it's giving thanks to God, knowing that it's outside of my control, but he has my, or he's able there to assist and to help me through things. Um, and really utilizing Philippians 4, uh, verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And to be thankful in all things, even when you're up in the middle of the night and you can't get those thoughts out of your brain. So I'll let Grace share a little bit. Okay, so my dad always asks, when he asks us to speak, he won't tell us what we're supposed to, what he's going to ask us to speak on until we say yes or no. And I always say yes because I'm like, whatever, we'll figure it out. Anyways, this was a little harder for me because I felt convicted. So my has dad hasn't even spoke yet. I'm already convicted about what he's going to speak on. But anyways, um, when he said, share about a time you rejoiced, prayed, or gave thanks, when you didn't really feel like it. Well, when I think about times I don't really feel like praising God or rejoicing is when we're going through a trial or something is not going my way. So I'm like, I always pray to God when that happens, but I don't think I've ever rejoiced or gave thanks for the trial he's put in my life. So um, that was my first conviction. And then I'm like, okay, so what can I learn from this? Well, 
when I look back about all the trials we've been through, um, what I see is how we've come out the other side, and it's usually for our benefit. It's always for our benefit. And so I think now when I see all the different things God has done in our lives, and even through the really hard times, is we've come out on the other side and seen his reasoning for that. And so I think now if I go through a trial, I think I can reflect on the things he's gotten us through, and I know it's for my good, so maybe I'll be more apt to rejoice and give thanks. Um, but another thing, um, this is more a specific example. Um, I don't know about you guys with kids, but getting out the door to go anywhere is like, it's just chaos. And I feel like I should be better at it after 10 years, but I'm not. But um, so one thing we do is every time we get in the car, we pray. And it's not something I came up with. My mom always did it when we were growing up. But after you get shoes, coat, everything on your kids, get them strapped in the car, and you're backing down the driveway, the last thing I really want to do is pray because I want to turn up my music and I want to zone out and I know my kids are strapped in and I can't really, I just ignore them, you know? Like that's kind of a nice thing about riding the car. But um, we've gotten into the habit of praying and it's really good even when I don't feel like it. Um, but we just pray about everything. And I think that's another thing my mom taught me is like give thanks for even the little things. So the things we pray about, we thank God for the beautiful day, whether it's raining, snowing, sun shining. We can be thankful for the day, and we can be thankful for the weather. Um, even the snow we had a few weeks ago when, like, 90% of Grand Forks was groaning about it, we gave thanks to God for the snow. And we thanked God that he made the snow white and not another color because we'd get sick of the other color. We like white. And we just thank them about, thank, thank them for little things, things like that. Like, uh, we think for, that we get to experience four seasons. We get to experience um, cold weather, warm weather. And we thank God for the car we have to drive and the gas that um, we can put in it, the groceries we're about to go buy, the things we're about to go buy, even the fun things we do. We thank God for the money for that. And we thank God that Scott works hard to provide for us. Um, we ask him to give us good attitudes because a lot of times when we're going places, we not, might not have good attitudes, including myself. So um, we ask God to um, give us good attitudes so that we can be a light for him. We can have a happy countenance because there's nothing worse than a Christian that doesn't smile or is frowning all the time. So remember that. Um, and then we um, ask God to help us um, how we treat each other and speak to each other. We... Um, also pray um, specifically for others, so other people that we know that need prayer. Um, we ask him to show um, himself to, to whoever we're praying for in a special way that day, that they get to experience God in a special way. Um, and I think the effect, because my dad wanted me to share the effect. Sorry, I'm way more long-winded. Usually you're the long talker. I'm going to be done soon. Okay, and so the effect of this is we are more grateful, even for the little things. We have, we're more joyful. When you are thankful for things and you give thanks to God, you're just going to be more joyful. It's just an effect that it has. Um, and we think of others more and become less selfish. And um, it changes attitudes. And my attitude over grumbling because I have to load kids up to go run an errand or whatnot, it changes my attitude to be thankful that I get to do this and um, be joyful. So I think it just snowballs into every aspect of your life, and in turn, you just become more of a grateful person. So that's my spiel.
That could be a sermon in a sentence or sentences. I do have a sermon in a sentence. I'll get to that shortly. But again, this is our uh, 14th time through a book of the New Testament. We take a a verse or a couple, three verses, and we flesh them out. Today we're in 1 Thessalonians. It's the first letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. Interesting, Thessalonica was a, a port city of Greece, and it's still there today. Really neat. We're talking about cities that are there 2,000 years ago, and they're still there today. Paul brought the Apostle Paul brought the gospel to Thessalonica. He preached there for three Sabbaths. So either it was three weeks or it was two weeks an extra day. We don't know. He spoke there for three Sabbaths. Went into the synagogue there, and he preached the gospel during this time when he was in Thessalonica. He provided for his own needs. He was a tent maker, right? He made tents, canvas, things like that. So that's why we get the term nowadays for a person who's a bivocational pastor. We say, well, he's a tent making pastor. If Paul would have been an electrician, we'd say bivocational pastors now are electrician pastors. Or if he was an engineer, we'd be engineering pastors. I have a question for you now. Um, what is the shortest verse in the Bible? You think you know the answer to this. You may not. We'll talk about that in a little bit. The shortest verse in the Bible. Now, uh, next, this is my, my sermon in a sentence. Be a perfumery, not a rendering plant. Some of you don't know what that is. You will in a short order. Be a perfumery, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So here we are in the book of 1 Thessalonians, and one of its main themes, before we get into the verses, the actual verses I'm going to talk about, one of the main themes is the return of Jesus Christ. He's coming back. Verse Chapter 1 and verse 10 says, that we are to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is one of the many places in the Bible that refers to the return of Jesus Christ. He's going to come back. It also contains the promise that God delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, the wrath to come, he's not referring to hell there. He's already, he's delivered us from that. We're not going to face hell. We certainly won't face hell. It refers to the time on the earth called the tribulation when God's wrath will be poured out on the earth. He delivers us from the wrath of God to come. We won't be around when that happens. We, the church, will be gone at that time. As this next passage assures assures us, chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant brethren concerning those who have fallen asleep that is those who have died lest you sorrow as others who have no hope for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus for this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means perceive those who are asleep for the Lord himself 
will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. All those who are dead and buried in cemeteries or dead wherever they may be, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up in the, with, together with them in the air. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. This is what, what we refer to as the rapture. It's not a uh, word that's in the Bible. We refer to it as the rapture, though. There's going to be a final generation of Christians, a final generation of the church, that will not see death, but will go straight to heaven when that rapture occurs. We may be in that final generation. We don't know for sure. But I will share this, I've shared this before, the pastor who did jeans in my wedding 44 plus years ago, he thought that we would be in that rapture. He said during his message, I believe your marriage will not end in death, but you will, you will be in the rapture. It's going to have to happen fairly soon because I don't think we've got another 44 years. Whether that happens or not, this, these words are meant to be a comfort to us. I hope they're a comfort to you that, that Jesus is going to return for us, whether we're alive, whether we're dead in the grave. Three more verses before we get to our theme for today. Verses 9 through 11 of chapter 5. For God did not appoint us to wrath. Again, that's the wrath of God during that tribulation period. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we shall live together with him. Therefore, comfort one another. Again, those words. <clears throat> edify one another, just as you also are doing. Okay, so that's the backdrop for chapter 5, verses 16, 17, and 18. And Paul turns to three commands for us. These are the three key commands. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Years ago, when Gene and I were in Columbus, Ohio, the church would often teach on this theme, God's will for your life. God's will for your life. And it always had to do with the Great Commission reaching people for Jesus Christ. And for sure, that is a huge part of God's will for our lives. And it's what our church believes in. It's our, like our mission statement is what it's all about, helping people find and follow Jesus. That's the Great Commission, helping people find and follow Jesus. But today we're going to look at these three, quote-unquote, bullet points, confident that this is God's will for us. It says so in this passage, to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. So here we go. First, rejoice always. So here's that question again. What's the shortest verse in the New Testament? Well, if you said John 11.35, Jesus wept, you'd be sort of right. Jesus wept is the shortest verse in the English translation of the New Testament. Shortest verse in the English translation of the New Testament. But um, <clears throat> interesting, though, this verse, Rejoice Always, is the actual shortest verse in the New Testament in the Greek original 
Greek version. Rejoice always. What a contrast that is, isn't it? In the English, Jesus wept, but then the shortest verse in the, in the Greek is rejoice always. The, re, the, the word rejoice, it's, it's, a, it's a call to joy. And this word rejoice, it was like a watchword among, amongst early Christians. It was more than a, than a, a term of worship. They would, when they greeted each other, they would say rejoice. It was a salutation, rejoice. And when they, when they parted company, they would say it again. They would say rejoice. We say hello, goodbye, hello, farewell. They said rejoice when they met and when they left. What if we did that now? Rejoice, 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 rejoice. That's what they said when they met and when they parted company. Imagine if we did the same. And I'd like to contrast for a moment joy versus happiness. Happiness is like this. It's an emotional response to favorable or pleasant or rewarding circumstances. That's happiness. The key word here is circumstances. We're happy because something sweet has happened in our lives. But joy isn't based on circumstances. We can and we should rejoice always. The scriptures commands us to rejoice always. It's in the present tense. It means keep on rejoicing. Rejoice and keep on rejoicing, no matter what the circumstances. Habakkuk chapter 3 records this. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, Though the flock be cut off from the field and there be no herds in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. That would be like saying this today. Though I lose my job, my car dies, my 401k tanks, my roof needs replacing and the grocery prices have skyrocketed, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Those things I talked about, those are circumstances, but we can still rejoice in the Lord. And it's in the light of our assured future heaven and deliverance from the outpouring of God's wrath during the tribulation period, the possibility even of being Raptured, we can and we should rejoice. Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. See if the Bible ever commands us to groan in the Lord always. Again, I say, groan. He also said this. Some things are once done and done with, but you are never done with rejoicing. And then this, I'll add this. He says, we ought to rejoice that there's a command to rejoice. God has commanded us to rejoice, reminds us to. The king of a particular country traveled away often, and he had this he had a, a neighbor lived not far from him, and this neighbor uh, 
uh, remarked to his friend, look, the, the, the king is back. He's back in his palace. And he said, well, how do you know? The whole place lights up when he's there. That's how it should be with us. The king takes residence in our hearts. Our whole lives should light up like that palace. The king is in residence. I'd like to point out an example of joy in our church. <clears throat> our brother Bruce lost his wife, the mother of his seven children, this summer. He grieved. He still grieves. We grieved. <clears throat> we mourn. He mourned. But one thing I noticed about him, and it's still true, he still has the joy of the Lord that lights him up. He still has the joy of the Lord. And it's, even especially during that time of, of just before the funeral and during and, and after, he was, always, he was always trying to encourage other people through that. He had the joy of the Lord. He still does. That's what the circumstances weren't happy but he still was rejoicing in the Lord and sharing that with others. This is, it's reflective of Paul's reminders of the church in Thessalonica. Remember in, uh, maybe you don't remember, but in the chapter before, he, he talked about those who have fallen asleep. Thessalonica, the church, had lost some of its members. They had died. They'd fallen asleep. And here he's reminding them, commanding them to rejoice. You know how people take on <clears throat> the odor of the place where they work? You know, like the beet plant in East Grand Forks, or when the, the wind blows it this way? Not so good. Or in here, for those of you who don't know, or a, a rendering plant. Do you know what a rendering plant is, you boys? Nah, none of you know. Here's what a rendering plant is. <clears throat> they take you know, dead uh, horses, cows, and they convert their carcasses into useful products like animal feed, pet food, tallow, soaps, cosmetics. <laughs> Fertilizer. Folks, rendering plants stink. They smell like rotting flesh. How do I know? When I was growing up, our house was not even a mile away from a rendering plant. It was south of us. And boy, when that south wind blew right to us, it was awful. You know, and I never worked there, glad I didn't, but those who worked at that rendering plant, they were there all day. When they came away, I'm sure their clothes, their hair, their skin, what they breathed, they smelled like that rendering plant. God, want, God doesn't want us to smell like a rendering plant spiritually. I want you to contrast that with this. A man smelled good wherever he was and whatever he was doing. His very skin seemed to exude pleasant, a pleasant fragrance. Why? Because he worked in a perfumery, 
a perfume factory. He breathed the aromas every day. It soaked into his skin. He breathed it into his clothes. And when he walked away, he was a walking perfumery. This should be us. That should be the joy of the Lord in our lives. We should be a perfumery, not a rendering plant. God's, <clears throat> we are God's best testimony for him when we rejoice, helping people find and follow Jesus. We're like a perfumery to people. Next command is to pray without ceasing. Well, that's easy. Just pray and never stop. Let's go on to the next verse. Not. Does this verse mean that we're supposed to be on our knees and talking to God, praying to God, and never get up, never stop? No, it's not that. That's not what it means. It's also not meant to be a loophole not to pray. It means that we continue in the practice of prayer. It means that we pray, and then we go back and pray again, and we pray some more, we pray some more. Here's a quote from a Christian man. He said, in the, in the Christian life, the act of prayer is intermittent, the act of prayer is intermittent, but the spirit of prayer should be incessant, never stopping. We pray in the morning during our quiet times, but we also carry the spirit of prayer with us throughout the day. So we, when needed, we send up what I call prayer flares to God. This is what Nehemiah did. The king said to me, what do you request? So Nehemiah was in the presence of the king. He said, what do you want? So he said, I prayed to the God of heaven. He didn't get on his knees and pray, God, what do you want me to say to Nehemiah? Nehemiah was right there. He said a, a silent prayer to God. He sent up a prayer flare, and God, God answered them. God answered him. When you're talking to your boss or your friend, you have a decision to make. You send up a prayer flare. Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? How should I respond? So it means that, and it means we don't give up in prayer. That friend that you've been praying for, don't stop. I've been praying for a friend of mine for over 40 years. I'm going to keep praying. I believe God's hand will be upon him. And the term without, the term that he says pray without ceasing, the term without ceasing uh, is, was used to describe this, like a hacking cough. You cough on and off throughout the day. You don't spend the whole day coughing. You're in conversation with somebody, you know, excuse me, you cough. Or you're, you're driving in the car, you cough. The, you, you wake up at night because you're coughing. It's like that. It's not continuous, it's, it's, it's intermittent. What a privilege prayer is. What a privilege it is to pray. If you and I wanted to talk to the president, good luck getting through. Or many others in office, good luck getting through. But we have access to God at all times. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may 
obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The throne of grace, God's throne of grace is wide open for us. The veil has been split. We can go to him in prayer anytime. If we prayed without ceasing, grace referred to this, we'd be more thankful. And if we prayed without ceasing, we'd rejoice more. Lastly, in everything give thanks. Verse, chapter 5, verse 18. In everything give thanks. Thanksgiving, the holiday is coming up. For Christians, Thanksgiving is more than a holiday. It's a way of life. Give me thanks. A lack of being thankful is, should be only characteristics, characteristic of those who don't know Christ, of unbelievers. Especially in the end times, it talks about that, the end times in which we live. Romans one twenty one says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 through 3, talks about the characteristics of men in the last days. But know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be, and he has a whole litany, a whole list of things that they'll be, and one of them is unthankful. It's one of the key characteristics of the last days when people are unthankful. We are to give thanks in, in all circumstances, not necessarily for all circumstances. The only way you can do this <clears throat> is to look at the cross of Christ, in my opinion. Jesus lived a righteous life that we could never live. He died on the cross to pay for the sins that we would have had to pay for. He gave up his blood. He rose from the dead to give us new life. He ascended into glory, sits at the right hand of God, and he's coming back again. He's coming back again. That's the return of Christ. That's how we can give thanks in all circumstances when we look to the cross, when we look to Christ. A couple other quotes here. Robert Louis Stevenson said this, the person who has stopped being thankful has fallen asleep. An Estonian proverb says this, he who does not thank for much, for little, will not thank for much. He who does not thank for little will not thank for much. And here's good old C.S. Lewis. We ought to give thanks for all fortune. If it is good, because <clears throat> it is good. If bad, because it works in us patience, humility, and the contempt of this world and the hope of our eternal country. How many of you ever read the, uh, some of the commentary by Matthew Henry? Probably some of the old guard, Matthew Henry. Yeah, there's a few of you here. He was a pure, great Puritan Bible commentator. And one day he was walking home. He was walking down the street. He was robbed. Later that evening, he got home. He wrote in his journal, reasons to be thankful. And here's what he wrote. I am thankful that during these, during these years I have never been robbed until now. Also, even though they took my money, they did not take my life. And although they took all that I had, it was not much. <laughs> and finally this, finally I am grateful that it was I who was robbed 
and not I who robbed. What a great illustration of what it means to give thanks in all circumstances. That's all I got to say about that. Just a reminder, folks, again, if you'd like prayer, please come down uh, front after the last song. In the meantime, again, this is uh, my sermon in a sentence. Be, now that you know what a rendering plant is, be a perfumery, not a rendering plant. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let's pray. The worship team may ascend. Heavenly Father, help us to be lights for this world by rejoicing always. Help us in that. We need help. Help us to, to pray without ceasing. You're always accessible. The door, the throne is wide open to give thanks. This is the will, your will for us in your son's name. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Join us for the final.